Hello, I'm Francis Seeley from Globalnet 21 and Enfield Voices, and I'd like to welcome you to this podcast today. And this is a special sort of podcast that we're doing, and we're looking at democracy and local government. During the period of the pandemic that we have at the moment, democracy, accountability, scrutiny has taken a bit of a back seat, and you can understand that. Um, but we're looking at a specific case study in the London Borough of Enfield, which is in North London, because... Um, there's a belief there that that has um, seen a demise of democracy, not during, during the period of COVID-19, but even before that. And so we're going to discuss that with three members of three different political parties. We've got Joanne Laban, who is the leader of the opposition for the Conservative Party on Edfield Council. We've got Rob Wilson, who is from the Lib Dems. He was a parliamentary candidate. We've got David Flint, who's from the Greens, and he was also a parliamentary candidate. We did ask the Labour group if they would also, uh, you know, bring forward someone for this discussion as well, but they didn't answer. Um, anyhow, we hope we can get them again at some point. Anyhow, let me begin then by asking you, um, we talk about the democratic deficit. We talk about what's happening in, in this period of COVID-19 and, and the pressure that's on the democratic processes. But, you know, some people have been thinking that in Enfield, this has been happening for a long time, over months. Joanne, is that your feeling? Prior to the COVID, the heightened period, there was changes in the constitution that went through that uh, the Conservatives opposed. And that was to um, reduce the amount of questions that members, regardless of party, can ask uh, cabinet members. And they are published for full council and the answer. And that was reduced from 20 to 15. And there, there's just been, so that's just an itch away. When we have the full council meetings, we do not finish reports. And I'm a big believer in spending the bulk of a full council meeting talking about the decisions that we as a council are making, not spending hours on motions that aren't necessarily relevant to local government of which Enfield Council is in charge of. I'd prefer to spend my time talking about the things that Enfield Council can do. So there's that, so changes in the constitution and they were originally brought forward just after the election and they were kicked back and they were brought forward again and they went through in February. But during this period, it's not uncommon that there were reduced meetings, especially between the 16th of March and into when there was the change of legislation. But we haven't gone into many virtual meetings and we are spending money, public money, and we want to make sure that the services and what we're doing is correct. And we need to make sure that we're scrutinizing and scrutiny is something that I strongly believe. Let, let, me, let, me, let me ask you about that, because I'm going to ask yeah. you about those things in, in sequence so that we can talk about them a bit more. But Rob, you were nodding violently then when Joanne talked about the council is debating national issues and therefore they're not getting to grips with local concerns. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I definitely agree with that. Having been to the uh, council meetings, there's a lot of 
Westminster points being made there. I mean, we we hear a, a lot about the money that hasn't turned up from central government, but then we hear very little about how what the money happened to the money that did. We've got a lot of services that are outsourced. Never seem to hear much about that. We hear a lot about councillors writing letters, but we never hear about the replies. You know, the council authority comes from submitting to the scrutiny and of the people of Enfield and being transparent and being accountable. And in a situation, we think this has been going on for years, and this is the end of a slippery slope. You know, we can't apparently have a council meeting, but we can have a cabinet meeting virtually. You cannot have an unaccountable council. And that seems to be where we're going. And we have, this hasn't happened overnight. This has been happening over the years and it's a drum we've been banging for some time. But, you know, David, I suppose the council would answer and say, but we are accountable. I mean, we have council meetings. They may not be as frequent as you like. Votes are taken and, uh, and one side wins and one side loses. But that's accountability. Yes, it is. Of course, one side wins and one side loses. But in a democracy, the side that wins doesn't then get to take all the prizes. Um, the side that wins is expected to show what it's doing, explain what it's doing, answer reasonable questions from the opposition. Um, can, governments, councils sometimes think that accountability is a sort of nice to have. It's not. Accountability is a duty imposed by democracy on those in charge to show what they're doing for the purpose, you know, for the purpose and information of the people who put them there. And one of the things which I am particularly concerned about, though others may be too, is the, is the Climate Change Task Force. Now, this was set up in the, in the wake of a motion in the summer. Um, it was good that the motion was passed, full council passed the motion. But um, this was a case where the task force the, could have been an, a, a meeting open to the public. Instead, it's a mixture of, of senior officers and councillors it's not open to other councillors. It's not open to the public. It works in private. Does it produce minutes? It does not. It produces okay. brief notes. Which are really okay, well, let's, let's talk about that in a minute, because, you know, the, the, the way in which they're looking at climate change may provide a good case study of what we're talking about. But, Joanne, the other thing is, I mean, I, I think you've said that there has been no or very few cabinet meetings and how can you have collective responsibility? I mean, you could say, yeah, the leader says, look, for goodness sake, you know, all this democracy, I just want to get on with it. We've got this crisis. But how important is it, do you think, to have cabinet meetings and have that collective responsibility around the decisions that are made? Enfield Council follows the leader cabinet model and the leader effectively uh, delegates some of their power to cap their cabinet members. And what's happened during this crisis is the leader has been taking almost all um, of the decisions. And we've seen a lot of the leader, but we haven't seen a lot of the cabinet. Now, I may be wrong, and I'm sure people will tell, tell me this, but I, don't, I haven't seen a lot of what the cabinet members have done in their individual portfolios. I know what the leader's done, and I think that's quite dangerous to have that amount of power in a single person's hand. And obviously you're advised by the gold meeting, which is the senior um, emergency planners and senior officers. But I do think that during this time, it has been too much held. And it, unfortunately, the, 
the uh, constitution changes and the leader cabinet model does allow for this, but it's always better to do things collectively. And cabinet members are paid and they need to own the portfolio that they're delivering on. And so collective is better, working in a team is better. And during this time, I do think it's been too much um, leader without cabinet. Well, Rob, I mean, do you agree with that? Because in a way, you would say that in the 21st century, when so many problems are whole society problems, like climate change, for example, you need a collaborative council. But this cabinet leader uh, model that seems to be followed in Enfield seems to be very strict based on the leader and to many people seems so out of date and so old fashioned. I think there's ne anything necessarily wrong with a strong leader, but I think you have to realize what makes a leader strong. And that is the fact that um, they come back to the council parliamentary model and explain themselves. There's nothing wrong with having a strong idea, but it's selling it and it's hearing opposite view. You know, we are in the time of an emergency. You need strong leadership, but that leadership is derived from the fact that you have the scrutiny of the other members of the council and the other cabinet. It means explaining yourself and coming up with the best way. I would have thought in an emergency, the one thing you want is the best course of action, which means you have to listen to people who don't agree with you. You don't ultimately have to agree with them, but you have to listen to them and you have to make your point. But David, that's quite interesting what Rob said, because some people argue that the, the council leadership doesn't listen. And, you know, like Vladimir Putin who changed his constitution so he could rule forever. There's a fear that there is sort of manipulation going on to make sure that a particular group, a cabal, is in charge. It's, it's easy to think that the, the issue is one of attitude, that there are people in the structure who have the wrong attitude. And plainly, that is true. But in an effective democracy, it's not just a matter of attitude. It's a matter about whether there is enough strength in the other parts of democracy to hold to account the people who, um, who want to go off and do their own thing and give orders to everyone in sight. Well, during the crisis, we've had what's called a leader EMT, the executive management team meeting with um, team meeting with, with the councillors. And they, they were happening and they were quite regular until um, a couple of weeks ago. And mm, now it's going to be every three weeks. And I know that many people like I f felt that was too long between each one whilst we're not having sort of an all singing, all dancing, normal political calendar within the council. And until it's back up and running, I think all councillors, regardless of um, party position, valued them, even though they might not have asked any questions at them, it's to be informed. And if they wanted to, with some of the information they've gained on the evening, they could, of course, have that opportunity to question. So the fact that it's been now three weeks um, between mm. that has um, affected sort of the, the confidence, the trust between councillors that actually you need during a crisis. And it's very easy to point to the person, uh, whether it's Vladimir Putin or Donald Trump or any other person we might name, and say, this person is the problem. They, uh, they are over mighty. They want, to, you know, they want to control everything. But that only happens if other people are weak. That the, the way a cabinet or a committee system should work 
is that other people are prepared to stand up and tell the leader, no, not this time. You are the leader, but that doesn't mean you get to make all the decisions. So it is a matter of strength in depth, uh, not just of saying um, we have a bad person who needs to be removed. Okay, I mean, Joanne, you, you talked about you haven't seen much of other cabinet members that said the leader does it all. Has there been committee meetings held at all during this period of sort of lockdown? So during this period so far, we've had um, some planning meetings that have done virtually, licensing. There's an overview and scrutiny meeting that will happen for the first time since lockdown um, tomorrow night. And we've had, I was discussing this when we were sort of not all together, we've had leader and EMT meetings with all councillors on teams, uh, which were very regular. They were weekly, sometimes every 10 days, depending on um, the situation at that point, which is uh, fair enough. But now they're, they're every three weeks, and that seems to be um, too much of a gap, especially as how things change quite quickly at the moment. Uh, there was a lot of a confidence about how much information was being flowed through. And now that every three weeks, it's, I don't think that's good enough when we're not having a full municipal calendar of meetings how we normally would. Um, I understand some of the difficulties. We've had to get the right technology. The law had to change uh, because local government, you had to be there in person and the law had to be changed to allow digital. So there's been some difficulties, but three weeks between um, leader meetings with councillors asking questions is too long when we're in a situation like I welcome overview and scrutiny tomorrow night um, but this could have been this could have happened sooner in my opinion and it's probably not as comprehensive as it could be. I mean, Rob, you, you're, you, you ask, or you, you, you mentioned, I know, that uh, using online meetings is something that they should do more often. Do you think they've been very slow in taking up on this? Well, you know, we are, this is the new normal. We are, we've gone through the emergency phase. What we're going to be like now will be probably what we're going to be like for the next six months, unless, you know, something massive changes. I really think now is the time, and I think it is the time to really open up democracy in a way that other councils do, whether they're Lib Dem, Green, Conservative or Labour, other ones do allow um, remote viewing and have the council meetings recorded and allow people to see them afterwards and people to ask direct questions. There does seem to be a very big disconnect, certainly in Enfield, between the council and people knowing what's going on and feeling they have a part of it. Um, there seems to be no direct mechanism to get something addressed rather than get a councillor to take it up and then, you know, going to the council meetings, they can, you know, they don't really always stick to time and purpose. They do go down running out of time a lot of time, especially when there's um, time at the end for questions to be asked from the floor. They always seem to overrun and you never get any questions from the floor. Some of the council meetings do feel very stage managed. So I think now is the time to make it digital, make it uh, more democratic and let people really take a part. And you know, and that's what local democracy is. It is the representation of local people and there seems to be a disconnect. And this is an opportunity to correct that. Do you think, David, that you know, with the new digital technology, this provides an opportunity for the council to engage a wider community? 
I mean, lots of people are worried about the way in which the council engages with the, engages with the community. You mentioned about it on climate change, but you know, if if the council cabinet uh, leaders are confident, um, if they're confident in the scrutiny process, they could actually use the digital technology to widen it out using the social networks we've got to a much wider audience. Do you well, think yes, they're afraid to do that? Yes, I, I do, and I think the. Um, the coronavirus crisis is giving us, forcing upon us the opportunity to find out what works and what doesn't work so well. Uh, because we know that the online stuff has real virtues, but it also has limitations. Uh, by the end of this, we're going to have a much better sense from having done it. Um, I expect, like, like the rest of you on the call, um, I'm on Zoom calls or similar things, um, you know, pretty much every day it feels like. Um, so that's something we'll learn. But, but Rob made a point which I think is, is interesting when he talked about things being stage managed. And that I noticed in, in some meetings that it's clear that the, uh, that the decision is made before the mm. meeting starts, that the, uh, the purpose of the meeting is to put on a show to look as if it's being debated, when plainly it isn't. Uh, and you can see this in documents as well. And some of the reports to council, you look at that thing and you say they knew what the answer was going to be. They were obliged to ask themselves certain questions mm -hmm. and they gave give completely formulaic answers, which show no thought, no thought, no real. When in a risk section where you ought frankly to say what might go wrong, even if you think it's unlikely, you say what might go wrong and how we will mitigate it. Um, and, and often that isn't there. Often what's there is something completely fatuous. Now, that's a matter of the officers doing better, the cabinet uh, insisting on them doing better, and councillors holding them to account and taking this stuff and say that isn't good enough. Go back and do it properly. Okay, but but this stage management, this public, this you know, local government by public relations in a way. It happens in all local authorities. I mean, Joanne, if you were the leader, would you not follow that? Or would you say, no, 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 I'm going to be a lot more open and a lot more collaborative? Everyone organises a meeting, whether it's a company meeting or anything else. So they are session managed. Some of the decisions are, have already been noted by Cabinet already at the, the Cabinet meeting. And then they have to then come to be agreed at Council which then allows the opposition to do a lot more um, questions and answers in speeches. Um, one of the things I said earlier was about the fact that we don't uh, finish discussing reports and it's reports where we're spending taxpayers' money or agreeing a strategy that will end up um, using taxpayers' money that we should be spending the time to do the scrutiny. And it's that that shouldn't be stage managed now, I know every time I get up in that council chamber, there are more Labour people than Conservative. So um, I'm not going to get it my own way at all, but it gives me the opportunity to raise issues. So on the budget, I went through the Section 151 officers report, what, what uh, there are problems there that I didn't agree with. Um, the fact that the consultation, there was only 90 people replied to a consultation on a billion pound budget of the council. You can go into that and that actually says, well, you need to come back with answers. So it can be stage managed from the majority side, but it doesn't stop the opposition asking those questions during that time. But as Rob said, they can curtail the meeting and the time's out and you can leave reports uh, 
undiscussed and you can go on to speaking about things that have sometimes little relevance to do with the London Borough of Enfield. Do you think though, Joanne, you talk about stage managed, do you think this scrutiny is stage managed at all? We know that um, the leader, um, you know, was uh, admonished for actually trying to get the chair, the previous chair of the scrutiny committee to talk to her about, you know, liaising about having their decisions more closely aligned with Labour Party policies. And that was considered a, a breach of the, the code of conduct. I mean, do you think that's improved? Do you think that it's still stage managed that scrutiny really isn't happening? The whole thing was about a, a decision that I actually called in. Uh, we can still call in things, although it's, um, it's, hot, it's hard. I mean, I can tell which ones I'm going to get a fair hearing at. OSC and what I won't. If it's something very ideological, I'm, I, I, I fear that I'm, I may be uh, knocking on a very closed door. But I think that the system doesn't help and having a huge majority side is not helpful to um, scrutiny and how things have done within the Labour group. I So I think it, there's a lot of... A, it goes across the piece. It's not just overviewing scrutiny. There's stuff that... So, for example, the ACMs, they represent a almost... The associate cabinet members, for those yeah, who don't associate know. associate cabinet members. They were asked by um, the overview and scrutiny committee, the statutory committee, would you come and tell us about the work you're doing? They didn't turn up. At, so that's another thing that we are having issues with. It's also, it has to work with respect. The scrutiny system has got to respect the administration because they are them, but that means the administration has to respect scrutiny. And sometimes it can be felt, rightly or wrongly, that we don't feel that that respect is there. Okay, so, you know, the um, previous chair of the scrutiny committee left because he thought it wasn't operating as independently as he thought it should. Associate cabinet members don't go there sometimes. Um, the leader has picked a, a supporter of hers to chair that committee. It's one of the problems, Rob and, and, and David, that scrutiny is very difficult when the party that controls the council also controls scrutiny. Um, how can you get some independence? Because if you have a strong leader who wants to centralise, she'll use or he will use scrutiny in a way that sh it shouldn't be used. Well, it is all to do with uh, checks and balances. I think you know we are so far from that at the moment. Um, even and it, and it, it's pretty blatant. I think you know if you have a public consultation, um, you know we've we've given you six questions and good news, everybody. We've picked the fourth one most popular one because that's the one we wanted to choose in the first place <laughs> i think um you've got to have more power of course i would say this i think you should have more parties in the um council but i think as well you've got to have respect between the, the different sides of labor you know there is definitely the perception that there are two sort of axes of um way of doing things within labor and uh, there seems to be an almost sort of open warfare approach sometimes between the two. I think it is prevalent on the members of Labour who believe things should be done in a different way to make that happen. If they are not part of the solution, regardless of if they agree with it or not, they are part of the problem. They keep voting to keep this system in place. It can only come with, from within. And regardless of if 
you are a Labour councillor who uh, doesn't believe that the, it's being done the right way, if you keep voting for it, well, what did you think was going to happen? I mean, David, you, you mentioned, you know, the task force on climate change. Um, it's... Um, it, it, it's, it's been in being now for 12 months. Uh, uh, the first attempt to get a resolution to declare an emergency was 18 months. So nothing's much happened. You would think this scrutiny would be on top of that, wouldn't you? And we would have heard about it. But have we heard anything at all? Well, we've, we've heard various things from it. Ian, as uh, Ian Barnes, as, as chair of the task force, um, I suppose we should be grateful that he answers questions at all. But the answers haven't been terribly forthcoming. And as I say, the process itself runs runs in secret. Now, I know they've had good technical advice. Um, I also know that they've been very slow compared to Wandsworth, compared to Lambeth. Um, they simply haven't been moved anything like fast enough. Most of what's in the report uh, was obvious to anyone who moved the field at the beginning. Some of that could have been done immediately, just not happened. But that's I'd a different... Like that's I'd a like different... scrutiny was on top of it. That's, yeah, that's a point, different point to what I was asking. I was saying, you know, should scrutiny be on top of that? Should they be engaged in that? Well, yes, I think they should. But it's not just a matter of looking for the, the magic institution which will solve the problem. As Rob said, it's also a matter of individual councillors um, using their own responsibility, authority, um, to stand up and say, no, this, we need to make this happen. Even, dare I say it, occasionally voting with the opposition on a matter of principle. Mm -hmm. What's wrong with principle politics? Yeah, but, but one of the problems, I mean, is fear. I mean, I, I did ask one Labour councillor to come on, but he was afraid to because he was afraid he would have the whip withdrawn. Do you think councillors should be freer to speak and they shouldn't be put into a straitjacket all the time? If you were a leader, Joanne, would you give them that freedom? Well, if there's something that is a, a matter of conscience or uh, affects your ward that you ultimately um, represent and there was an issue that affected them and they wanted to vote differently, then I think it's only natural that you would allow that. Um, if it's something that's a manifesto that everyone signed up for, um, that's slightly different. But if it's affecting your ward and you and your residents are dissatisfied with the action the council has taken and you wish to represent your residents and that's different, then, um, then effectively you are elected to represent that area and you should be allowed to vote what way you feel um, when it affects your ward. Absolutely. Um, Why did you become a councillor? Was it to further your career or do good for your people of your ward? If you are more bothered about keeping a whip than doing the good for the people of your ward, you probably shouldn't be a councillor. Well, that brings up the question of, you know, party discipline versus representing the community. And, and, and a councillor is elected by a community, by their ward community. And there's another criticism that's increasingly coming up, and, and you raised it, Joanne, and others raised it, that... This council doesn't consult with the community properly, doesn't engage them. For example, if it consults, it very often ignores that consultation. So it's a sort of tick, tick box exercise. It's a PR exercise that they do. And they're not really serious about engagement. No, um, the classic example is the bins. We went out and gave people um, eight options. One was to remain the same and then seven different ones. 
and it was one of the largest responses ever received. We have over nearly 6,000 people um, responded and the majority of people said no change. And yet they went with the least supported option. I weren't, weren't two of them completely impossible anyway. They could. There were three. There were about three that were not allowed. And I raised this at the time of um, the call in with Derek Levy was uh, involved in um, when I said that some of them were not in inform is not informed with the mayor's environment strategy, which said at the time that it needed to be have food separate food waste and um, the. The council has a duty to conform um, to the mayor uh, on his um, strategies for London. And so I knew that that wouldn't be likely to be ever taken on board because they had to do it within a certain time scale. So I challenged that at the time. I was told I didn't know what I was talking about. However, we, funnily enough, now, still have, now we have a separate food waste collection. So that it, my point is, if you're going to ask the public, what's your view? You cannot choose the one least supported by residents. I would pick the one that is most supported. But what was really bad is if the council said, come on, um, we can't actually do this, and found a way that uh, one of the recommendations that was only slightly changed and explained that, but they didn't. They chose the one was least supported. And that's just a smack in the face to residents who in the end are the taxpayers of Enfield, and that's who we represent, and that's why we become councillors. Well, okay, I mean, so that's, I mean, that's consultation, but Rob, in terms of engagement as well, there's been some criticism that when they engage with communities, like in the COVID-19 response or community safety, they pick and choose the groups that they work with and they exclude others. In other words, in terms of engagement, they're very prejudiced as to who they work with and they're not inclusive of everyone. I mean, you've had experience of that, haven't you? Well, I've been helping and uh, with the Love Your Doorstep response. I know there's been um, issues with the council. I mean, to be completely fair, I'm not party to them. I do know that um, the council has one job to do, you know, and that is to look after the, the list of people. And they did the right thing they got the um, everything sorted out, but it took five weeks. They were looking after the people on the vulnerable list. There was a gap to be filled um, that wasn't really, you know, it's not the raison d'etre of the council, but there was a gap to be filled and there were people willing to do it. And it, you know, it didn't happen. Uh, it, it looked to me like the council um, didn't want anybody else having any sort of credit you know there was yeah I mean I, I there so, was a bit of a place in the mouth I guess but it, it certainly wasn't work it, it wasn't Enfield stands together yeah you know, so, so are you saying that they, they were behaving in a way that sort of demonstrated that if they weren't doing it if they weren't taking the credit they didn't want to know I think there's words being put in my mouth there but I <laughs> That was the feeling I got. However, you know, I'm going to be completely fair. I was not involved in those discussions, but it did look like unless you were going around waving a Enfield Labour Council banner, you weren't going to be talked to. But I might be wrong. OK, I mean, you might be wrong and who knows. But um, 
the other thing, David, I mean, when we're talking about engagement, you mentioned, yeah, the task, uh, task force. <laughs> they haven't engaged with people for a long time. And, and you know, we, we, NCAF, which exists, the Enfield Climate Action Forum, which has got 60 groups and, you know, dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of people involved. We've invited them to uh, engage with us, to, to come on Zoom. We hope we don't crash out, but come on Zoom. They might hope we crash out, by the way, but come on Zoom and, um, and, and sort of engage with us. But there's a sort of reluctance to engage because I think they're worried, are they not of criticism? Well, it's hard to know what's in other people's minds, isn't it? All you can really do work, work on is what they do. And as you say, they've not been prepared to come to NCAF meetings, physical or, or, or electronic. Um, they've not been very helpful about their response to, uh, to points made. Um, uh, Joanne made the point about about the, the waste consultation and choosing the least favoured option. And this is just the kind of thing that brings local government into disrepute. If an option cannot be, cannot be, off, cannot be delivered, it shouldn't be offered. Um, people are grown-ups, we're all adults, we recognise that counter-resources are finite, that not everything we want can be done. And I think uh, politicians in general would do better to say, we would like to do this, but we can't do it. This is the closest we can come. How about that? Rather than, than promise all kinds of wonderful things, you know, that Brexit will do this, um, all these 25 wonderful things, um, when they know that that is not true. And all of us need, I think, to be thoughtful about what promises we make, um, whether we're in national government or local government or uh, in any other kind of leadership role, we need to be realistic about what we can what we can offer. Well, we're coming to the, the end of what I think will be a half hour when we've edited, including the dropout bit. Let me ask you a final question. I mean, we're in we're in a crisis. Many people think this this pandemic will reemerge in the winter, and we've got the climate change crisis, which will go on now for a long time to the end of the century and beyond, and it will affect us all. Do you think we have to rethink democracy in this period? Can we create new ways of engaging with each other in a crisis so we don't see power going away from the people? How do you think, what do you think, Joanne, that we can do to try and ensure that, that democracy stays alive? Enfield Council needs to start running as much as it can do the normal calendar of meetings as it would do if we were sitting in the council. If we're in the civic centre, we've got the kit now. We should be holding um, regular meetings. There should be panels looking at COVID-19 in different areas, sort of one specific for health, one specific for the environment. Um, and also the day-to-day -day things are still going on at the council. You know, you're, you're still seeing uh, the ru rubbish trucks coming. Well, that'd be nice if they were weekly, but uh, we are where we are. We need to continue to do that. And we can do that virtually. The government's changed the legislation to enable that. And we should be getting as back to it as much as we can, a 100% programme of scrutiny and actually seeing this crisis as an opportunity to work more together and to get the best outcomes for residents rather than it all being in the hands of one person. So we need to make sure that we get these virtual meetings up we have a robust municipal calendar, so and people can jump on and look at meetings in the way that they they might do to look at this meeting. Okay, and Rob, do you, how do you think uh, 
democracy should change and what may be now a state of perpetual crisis? Well, look, I, I don't think people have given up on politics. I think politicians have given up on people. Nobody really answers a question anymore. And we've got to the point where people have stopped asking them. We need to start asking questions and we need to start demanding answers. People have to stop giving just completely media trained answers. But as part of that, that means that we have to accept that some people say things sometimes that we don't like. This whole sort of getting rid of somebody's reputation because 10 years on Twitter, they had a few drinks and posted something and that, that destroys someone is ridiculous. We have to change the way our politics works. And that means sometimes hearing stuff that we don't like. The problem is at the moment is people just aren't saying anything. So you can't not like it. But that means you get nothing done. Okay, David, COVID-19, um, climate change, <coughs> constant emergency. Can yeah. democracy survive? Can we change it? Uh, we have two crises. Um, they're very different, um, but in some important ways, they're the same. And one of the ways in which they're the same is that the solution to both of them must involve everyone, not only the council, it must involve every citizen, every business, they're required to do particular things and to do them properly, according to guidance, but using their own initiative and judgment and, and personal commitment. And that can only be made to work if there is clear leadership at national level uh, and at local level. So in order to make that leadership effective, um, in particularly in the current circumstances, the council should be doing more to reach out to the community, more to engage the citizens of Enfield, um, and to explain to them what is needed and how they contribute to it. Now that doesn't seem terribly difficult to me, and it feels like once upon a time that would have seemed natural. But there is, it is a media age, a media trained age. Um, we need the council to be taking on giving more leadership, getting everyone on board, to address the two great crises of our time. Three different political parties, but there does seem to be some agreement between you. Um, you know, more collaboration, uh, working together, and, uh, you know, involving the community because the crises we face are a whole community crisis. And COVID-19 has seen the community really galvanized and energized, and that's been fantastic. So I hope we can all work on that. And I really would like someone from you know, the Labour Party controlling group to come and talk about this and how they can somehow become more collaborative and they can do it in a genuine and authentic way. And we would welcome that. Anyhow, thank you for coming on and doing this. And, um, you know, we'll end this interview now. <music>